Well, good morning to each one of you that's here at the Winkler Berkshire Mennonite Church, as well as each one that uh, uh, is listening and will be watching later. For our call to worship, let us read 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. And let me say in advance, these words are way easier to speak than they are to live out. Here are Paul's words in these two verses, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let me read that again. Let all that you do be done in love. That's the way it ends up, and let's not forget that. Please join me as we pray. Dear, loving, gracious, forgiving God, we come to you now to ask you to open each one of our hearts and help us yield to you. Forgive us when we fail to yield to you. We pray that you direct the ladies' quartet as they are uh, leading the worship and song. Lead Joey Williams leading the offertory. Lead Nick Friesen as he's reading the scripture. And also, Lord, lead Jessica Siemens as she will be uh, dealing with the mission spot. And Lord, lead Pastor Victor Engbrecht as he presents your message, a people for his own possession. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, will you lead us? Good morning. We ask that you stand with us, and we'll start by singing, I Stand Amazed in the Presence, and we'll sing verses 1, 2, 4, and 5, and we'll sing it at a good pace. Oh, wonderful, 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 w
Thank you. That's good singing. Let's continue with Cornerstone, and those words are also in your bulletin. Love. 
You may be seated if you'd like, and we'll continue with Grace Alone. Last spring and summer, I had the privilege of working at Pembina Valley Bible Camp as their creative arts leader. Pembina Valley Bible Camp is located in the beautiful Pembina Valley, which is located southwest of Morden. It's about a 40-minute drive from Winkler. Pembina Valley Bible Camp offers a number of different camps, such as creative arts camp, wilderness camp, bikes camp, sports camp, paintball camp, several horse camps, breakthrough discipleship camps, and also our classic camps, where campers get a choice of two skills they would like to do each day during their week at camp. This may include climbing wall, weaponry, horses, arts and crafts, outdoor education, or bikes. Majority of our camps are for ages 13 to 17, while two weeks are for ages 10 to 12. 
During our spring season, we had no idea if we would even run camp this summer. Planning for something that we didn't know if it would happen was not always easy. But as a spring team, we quickly became a family and encouraged one another in moving forward in our programming. We knew that God wasn't restricted, even if we were. After a lot of prayer, the restrictions finally loosened so that we could run day camps. And this happened only a few days before our, our summer staff arrived. It was a very exciting day for us. As staff, our day would begin at 7.15 with a staff meeting where we would go over our day and pray for each other and the campers, and then we would eat breakfast together as a staff team. With running day camps, the campers would get dropped off at the Westside Church in Morden around 8 o'clock um, in the morning where they would get picked up with a bus and we would drop them off around 9 o'clock in the evening there as well. They would typically arrive at 9 o'clock in the morning, and their day would begin with morning devotions with their cabin. Their morning skill time would begin at 10 and then go to lunchtime. Following lunch, they would have Bible X with their cabin, which is an intentional Bible study time where the campers have the opportunity to ask questions, learn more about the gospel, and also how to live out their faith. Next, they have canteen, and then their afternoon skill goes from 3 till supper time. In the evening, we have a time called EDGE, which is our version of chapel, which happens around a campfire. EDGE stands for Everyday God Experience. This time includes singing, dramas, a testimony, and a message from the pastor that is at camp that week. The campers would then head home around 8 o'clock each evening. With having day camps, as staff, we had more opportunities to connect and build relationships as staff. Once the campers left in the evening, we would usually spend our time together as staff, hanging out around the campfire, singing worship songs, having a movie night, or playing a game of volleyball. My role as creative arts leader this summer meant that I planned and also led our creative arts camp and also the arts and crafts skill during our classic camps. During our creative arts camp, I had two campers. Um, one of our projects was painting a mural together based on Hebrews 12, verse 1, which says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I really enjoyed seeing how all our different gifts came together to create something for God's glory. When I moved up to camp at the beginning of May, I had full intentions of going back to university this fall. But slowly throughout the spring and summer, God revealed to me that he had other plans. The administrator job at camp became available for this fall, and I sensed God nudging me to take a leap of faith and step into full-time ministry. After several honest and encouraging conversations with a couple of camp friends, I decided to sit down and talk with the director. And now I am part of the full-time staff team at camp and could not be more thankful to call the Valley home and to serve God alongside an amazing team of people. My work at camp now consists of some bookkeeping, answering phones, other office work, preparing for and working rentals, and also helping in mentoring our spring and summer staff. Our full-time team consists of seven people, which include myself, the head wrangler, two guys on maintenance, the director Chris and his family, the camp manager Terry and his family, and the program director Trevor and his wife. And we all live at camp year-round. Every week of camp this summer was amazing. Each week holds special memories of connecting with campers, having intentional conversations, hearing testimonies of how God is at work in campers' lives, and laughing and crying together as staff. If I had to choose, I think family camp would be my favorite week. 
It was a new camp that we added onto the end of our camp season. We had two camp sessions, one from Monday to Wednesday, and another one from Thursday to Saturday. I got to spend the week working in the kitchen, which was a blast, and got to help with leading children's church. Often, people ask me how camp is going or how it was, and I usually don't know what to say, because camp is amazing but also has its hard moments. So I usually just end up saying good because it seems to be the middle ground. Just this last week, I was talking with a couple of camp staff, and we were saying how tiring summer camp is. Every day is an early morning and a late night. But that conversation ended with talking about how life-transforming the camp community is. Throughout the summer, God continually shows us why we do what we do, through powerful testimonies from campers and also staff. I am so excited to continue to be a part of camp ministry and to see God change lives. Thank you so much for your prayers and support throughout the summer. Continued prayers are appreciated, especially as we begin preparing for another summer in a few months. Um, I now have a video I'd like to share with you. It's unfortunately not our official camp video for the summer. I just quickly put it a little slideshow together for you, but I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. From darkness to light Anytime And someone stands to fight Anytime somebody Serve and not be served I know, I know, I know, I know God is on the Sets men free. 
Thank you, Jessica, for your work and for this report. Uh, let us take a look at life in the church through identifying some of the announcements. Uh, this coming Tuesday morning will be the uh, women's prayer group meeting at uh, 9.30 and uh, Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Uh, I ask you to join us for the uh, Bible study on Revelation. That is it's a good study to come and join us. Um, our missionaries of the week are K and K. And just a uh, a note, we are pleased to inform you that both Pastor Dean and Pastor Victor's terms received a very positive vote at our membership meeting on September 27th. And this coming Friday, uh, take a note, Kevin and Julia Garrett will be in our church on Friday, that's October 22nd, this coming Friday, at 7.30 Having spent two years in prison, they will be sharing about the two Canadians who have recently been released from prison in China, as well as about their own ministry in Myanmar. Um, and there's a couple of youth nights. Monday night is the youth grade 7 to 8, from 7 to 9, and on Thursday, uh, grades 9 to 12, also from 7 to 9. And take a note at the various people taking, having birthdays and wedding anniversaries. Thank you for those who have already signed up for the uh, Mission Fall Supper this Tuesday. And I ask that there's those that would like to, there's sign-up sheets um, in the foyer. And I'll ask the ushers to come forward. And as they come forward, just a note of, on the inside of the last page, page 7, the Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse. The Christmas Gifts of Hope, starting uh, today, there's all kinds of opportunities for sharing. And I'll let you read that part, but there's... Uh, things that are available or that are needed for being donated. So, uh, give you that opportunity. Again, Lord, I ask that, or people, I ask that you join with me as we pray. We thank you, God, for your, your love and your availability to each, each of us and to all of us at all times. Be with each of the ladies on Tuesday morning as they gather. Be also with each one of us as we meet on Wednesday here at 2 o'clock for the Bible study. Continue to meet the needs of K&K &K and their family as they deal with changes. Lord, lead Kevin and Julia Garrett as they come here on Friday at 7.30 to, to share. We ask for your directing to help meet the needs of each person involved in the Tuesday Mission Fall Supper, whether as food preparers or servers or as receivers. We pray, Lord, that the 
write Christmas gifts and uh, the gifts of hope will be offered in the next four weeks. Lord, open each of our hearts as we hear your word in song or in speaking. Bless each presenter and each listener. We thank you for your love and grace to to each of us. Help us to share your love as we have opportunity. And again, we ask that you lead Pastor Victor as he shares your word with us. Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Birds shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. On that bright and cloud this morning when the dead in Christ shall rise And the glory of His resurrection shares When His chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the sky And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder I'll be there Let us labor for the Master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all His wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder I'll be there
Scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. The living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumbled because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are our chosen people, our royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then verses 11 and 12, living godly lives in a pagan society. 
Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thus far the reading. Good morning. It's good to be here. And I'm excited to tell you what I learned this week. First of all, um, just connecting with last week, how many of you... uh, made a list of blessings, either in your head or otherwise. Ah, good. Right on. So it paid off to hand out that sheet. (laughs) Yeah, we have much to be thankful for. And uh, how many of you wrote a note of encouragement? Aha, we've got a few. I wrote one. I received one. (laughs) That was very good. Well, today we are continuing from two weeks ago when I spoke on 1 Peter 2, 1 to 13, uh, sorry, 113 to 2, verse 3. And I entitled that message, uh, Called to be Holy. And if we wanted a short, size, concise summary of that passage, it might be uh, chapter 1, verse 15, which says, As he who called you is holy, so be holy, you also, sorry, you also be holy in all your conduct. That doesn't leave much out, does it? All your conduct. <clears throat> or to give a more expanded summary, it might be something like this. Because of God's great salvation, which we read about in chapter 1, we are called to be holy because we were ransomed from a life of futility with the precious blood of Christ having purified our souls by obedience to the truth, we ought to love one another since we have been born of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God which stands forever. Therefore, we ought to put away every evil practice and drink deeply from the word of God. So how's that been going? Have you identified some evil practice to put aside? Or have you been drinking more deeply from the word of God? The passage that was just read for us, uh, verses 4 to 12 of chapter 2, is a continuing thought from the previous passage. When we long for that pure spiritual milk of the word of God, Paul explains the work that God is up to Uh, in carrying out his plan for his people. God is building a people for his own possession. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. By the way, I 
I noticed the songs that the ladies picked for us. The word cornerstone stood out. Thank you for, for picking those songs. God has a purpose in saving those who believe. A plan for those who are born again. And hopefully that's all of us here. As we come to him, as we crave that pure spiritual milk, he builds us into a spiritual house. Obviously this is not a bricks and mortar house. But Peter is painting a picture for us of the work that God is doing. So for whom is this house built? Or what is its purpose? Well, we know that the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Acts 7.48 But as God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? God has no need of anything that man builds for him. One thing we know is that God's plan is to be with his people. In Exodus, after the covenant is confirmed with Israel, of course this is uh, not long after they come out of, out of Egypt, God gives extensive instruction about the tabernacle, the altar, the priesthood, etc. And in Exodus 29.45, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, I will be their God. That theme runs through the entire Bible. We find it again in Revelation 21, verse 3. God says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God's intention is to live with his people and be their God. So here in First Peter, we have God building his house. And of all things, we are the building material. The picture we have here in First Peter 2 is supported by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. And in that letter, Paul addressed the Gentile believers saying, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is building his own dwelling place and we're the material he's building it with. As any house builder knows, you need to start with a firm foundation. <clears throat> Everything else in the structure depends on that foundation. According to Ephesians, the foundation of God's house is the apostles and the prophets. But that foundation is dependent on one very key piece, the cornerstone. That cornerstone must be well-chosen because from it, every measurement for the foundation is made. That cornerstone must be true in all its dimensions, and it must be true in where it is placed. A well-chosen and well-placed cornerstone will ensure that the foundation is level and square and plumb. 
Jesus is that chosen and precious cornerstone. He is the most important piece of the whole structure. With the cornerstone in place and the foundation of the apostles and prophets already built, we are the living stones that are being built as a spiritual house as we come to him. Now what is the purpose of this spiritual house? Like the tab- uh, tabernacle and the temple, it is the place of God with his people. And it is a place of worship. But we are not just a spiritual house. Notice in verse 5 that we are being built up as a spiritual house to be something. To do something. We are to be God's holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, the role of priests was to intercede for the people and offer sacrifices on their behalf. As the text says, we are to be a holy priesthood and we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. As people born of imperishable seed, as a kingdom of priests, our job is to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. And how is this possible? Well, it is only possible through Jesus. It is not possible through our efforts or our merit or our accomplishments. Even if I would never sin after today, the sins of my past still make me unacceptable to God. And if Christ had not offered himself as sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world, we would have no access to God. Without faith in the, sh- in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we cannot possibly offer acceptable sacrifices. It is because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we can approach God through his Son. And it's through him that we are chosen. So what are those sacrifices? What are we offering? Didn't Jesus make the final and ultimate sacrifice? Don't the scriptures tell us that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all mankind and that there is no longer any need for the shedding of blood? That is true. And it is the blood of Christ that blots out our sin and cleans us. So what then is the role of our holy priesthood? If sacrifice is no longer required, what is this spiritual sacrifice that we offer to God? I think we can take some uh, enlightenment from Romans 12 verse 1 here. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer what? Your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. <laughs> so there we go. Not only are we the building materials in God's spiritual house, not only are we the priests that serve in his holy house, we are also the sacrifice. There's a familiar pattern here, isn't there? God is forming us into the likeness of his son. Jesus is not only God, Jesus is the high priest and intercessor between man and God, and he is also the sacrifice that makes man acceptable to God. 
In a similar pattern, we are God's spiritual house. We are his holy priesthood who serve in that house, and we are the living sacrifices offered in that house. It does leave me, though, with another question. We already belong to the Lord. We have already been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Since all believers are in the priesthood of God's house, what is the purpose of bringing offerings to God? I'll suggest two possible answers. Number one, we already know from Romans 12.1 that offering our bodies is a spiritual act of worship. How I live my life from day to day, from moment to moment, is significant because it is either lived in an attitude of worship or an attitude of rebellion. Worship is how we live in our bodies, being conscious of God and living according to the truth of God's word. That's always in our mind It shapes our thinking. It shapes how we live, what we do. That's number one. Number two, I suggest to you that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God for the salvation of those who do not yet know him. We don't need to intercede for each other. Jesus has already done that. Our priestly role is to spend our lives for those who are still embroiled in the deeds of darkness. The unlovely, the wicked, the unbelieving, the deceived, the weak, and the poor, and the lost. This is where we sacrifice our bodies for the sake of the lost. We spend our bodies. We spend time and energy to build relationship with wayward or unsaved souls that they too might be brought into the household of God. To build a people for his own possession. That's our sacrifice. Not unlike the sacrifice of Jesus for us. So if we obediently offer ourselves as living sacrifices as an act of worship in such a way as to see the lost saved, we demonstrate that we believe in Jesus, the living stone whom God has chosen and on whom we are built. Doing this, we will never be put to shame. Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves in this way? It doesn't mean that we all become street preaching evangelists. But we all have friends and family and neighbors who do not know Jesus, either due to ignorance or rejection. Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves to build relationship in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ? It seems I am very often in conversation with people who are who don't <laughs> see the truth of God the way I do and so I I try to find ways to explain 
the gospel. That's one way of spending time trying to figure out how can I explain this so someone will understand. Are we willing to work with God in building a people for his own possession? Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. Right? Not shame. There's no shame for us, but honor. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Jesus is precious to the believer, but to the unbeliever, Jesus is a problem. Have you ever been on a work site where someone has left a pile of building materials right where you're trying to work? Maybe it even happens in your own garage or your own kitchen. It's always in the way. And you reach around it and you step around it and you bump into it and you trip on it and you fall on it. It makes you irritable and frustrated and angry. That is what Jesus is to the unbeliever, especially to those who reject him. In a world that Jesus has created, how does one expect to avoid Jesus? When everything is created through his wisdom and established on his principles and aligned with the cornerstone of truth, you can't do it. You can't avoid him. This world is the worksite of God. And those who reject Jesus will constantly stumble on him and take offense at him. Some would ask, why would a loving God want to make unbelievers stumble when he wants to save them? Doesn't God want to save all souls? Verse 8 is clear that this is not the doing of God. That makes the unbeliever stumble. Unbelievers stumble because they disobey the word, the message of the good news of Jesus. Another question that arises is why the Bible says that stumbling is what the unbelieving were destined to do. Does God choose people beforehand to be disobedient? Does God preordain that some should reject the living stone? The Bible teaches that God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, to a knowledge of the truth, and turn from their ways and be healed. You can look up Second uh, Peter 3, verse 9, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, Ezekiel eighteen twenty three are some verses that tell us that. I suggest to you that God does not select individuals to be predestined to stumble and fall. But God predestined that those who choose to obey, to disobey will stumble and fall. If my parents had said to me and my sister, whoever reaches into the cookie jar will get a spanking. <laughs> and then I choose to put my hand in the cookie jar and my sister does not, you would not wonder why I got the spanking and she didn't, right? My parents predestined to spank the one who disobeyed, whoever it was. 
I believe that is the meaning of verse 8. And the results of disobedience are severe. We see, we see this in the verses we're about to read. The disobedient, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly speak to the disobedient, but if, uh, if you take a, a moment to think about verses 9 and 10, you'll, you'll notice that the disobedient remain where they are. They're not chosen. They're not called, they, they, they remain in the darkness. They're not chosen and they receive no mercy. That is where the disobedient are. But in contrast to that, for the believer, let's look at our position in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a stark contrast to our former condition. What is it that makes us a chosen people? The contrast is with those who disobey the message. Verse 8. Therefore I suggest to you that the chosen are the obedient. Let's go back to the cookie jar. If the command is no cookies before supper and the predestined consequences are that disobedience receives a spanking and obedience receives two cookies after supper, then the one who is chosen, the one who obeys, sorry, is chosen to receive two cookies after supper. Those who choose, sorry, those who are chosen are those who obey. Let's go back to Exodus. The first time Jesus or God talks about a treasured possession, God said, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were the chosen people. In the New Testament, believers are the chosen people. So which is it? Israel, the church, both? Again, I think the answer lies in the words, if you obey my voice. The chosen have always been those who believe and obey. In today's text, Peter is telling his believing Gentile audience that they are numbered among the chosen. Believers are also a royal priesthood. Royal because we are the offspring of the imperishable seed of the King of Kings. And we are a priesthood because we have inherited it from the eternal high priest. In the Old Testament, the Levites carried out priestly duties. If you were born a Levite, there was no question what you were going to do for a livelihood. Because as a Levite, your whole duty was to be part of the priesthood on behalf of the nation. 
Just as the Levites inherited their priesthood by birth, so have we. We have been born again of imperishable seed. And being born again of imperishable seed, we've inherited the role of the royal priesthood and the holy priesthood. Here here again we see that God has a plan. We are not chosen just to be his people, but for a purpose, to do something. The last half of verse 9 says, That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And this echoes the purpose for which we offer ourselves as sacrifices, to worship God and to reach out to the lost. As we declare his praises, it is an act of worship. And to whom should we declare them? To each other? Certainly, because it builds us up and it strengthens the church, but also to those who haven't heard. And how do we do that? How do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called, out of, called us out of darkness into light? Well, how about telling someone how you came to know Jesus? What occurred in your life? What helped you suddenly see things differently? Do you remember the moment that you realized, I was blind, but now I see? Was it the conviction that you were a sinner? Was it the resonance of truth in the scriptures that answered life's deepest questions? Was it the peace that flooded your soul when you repented? What is your story? The transfer of your soul from the realm of darkness to the kingdom of light is a declaration worth hearing. That is one purpose for which we have been redeemed. Peter goes on to remind his readers of this very thing. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. That was their story to tell. By the way, this verse is also the reversal of a curse found in the prophet Hosea. Turn to Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. It's after uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel and Daniel, then is Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. Hosea has been called the deathbed prophet of Israel because he was the last prophet to prophesy before the northern kingdom fell to Assyria in 722 B.C. Look at the names that God tells Hosea to give to his children. The firstborn was named Jezreel. Jezreel was a place where there had been a lot of bloodshed at the hands of Jehu, a former king of Israel. With the birth of Hosea's firstborn, God said, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. God's judgment on Israel had fallen, and it was about to come to its end. Hosea's second child was named No Mercy, because God said, I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. 
The third child was named Not My People. Because God said, You are not my people, and I am not your God. And if you want to read further on that, read Second Kings 17 and 18, and you can read about how the northern kingdom fell. At the end of Hosea, in chapter 14, before Israel is wiped out, the Lord makes a plea to Israel to return to her God, in which he says he will heal and love and restore. <clears throat> and here in Peter's letter to the scattered, suffering Christians, we have the reversal of that curse in Hosea. As Israel was brought to an end, in Is- uh, sorry, as Israel was brought to an end, the church uh, is now being brought to life. God is building his people, building a people for his own possession. Instead of finding no mercy, God is again merciful. And those who were not a people are now his people. If we think that we have no other excellencies to proclaim, proclaim that. God is again merciful. He has made us Gentiles part of the kingdom. Those who disobey the message stumble and fall. They are not a people, they have not received mercy, and they remain in darkness. Those who obey the message are the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that that we might proclaim the mighty works of God in delivering us out of darkness into his wonderful light, and we have received mercy. I no longer stand condemned. That is a story worth telling. I no longer stand condemned. So let's do a quick summary. As we come to Christ, God is building us into a spiritual house to be a priesthood interceding for the lost and to offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices in God's service. Number two, those who believe are not put to shame. And those who reject Christ stumble in the darkness. And number three, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we might declare the wonderful works of God that brought us out of darkness into light. Amen. Verses 11 and 12, then, are the therefore that follows and provides us with application for this message. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles or aliens, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, As evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are aliens in this world. And as aliens, we do not engage 
in the ways of this world. We must abstain from the passions of the flesh, just as we were instructed in chapter 2, verse 1. But here Peter adds, which wage war against your soul. Some of you might be familiar with author J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, a Christian author who wrote a uh, fantastical book series called The Lord of the Rings. Some of you may have read the books or seen the movies. If there's one lasting and overriding impression, it is the persistent and relentless pursuit of evil that left unchecked will destroy all life. That's what I got out of that story. And that describes the world we live in and the life we live. We're being pursued relentlessly by evil to trip us up and cause us to fall and reject God. A little wickedness allowed to sit in the corner of our lives will eventually hollow us out and leave us destroyed. The COVID pandemic has presented us every opportunity to become corrupted in our passions. Do we accuse each other over our differing views and practices? Do we accuse each other? Do we look with disdain on those who think differently about masks and vaccines and distancing and all kinds of things? Do we cut off relationship because I think I'm right and you are wrong? Do we sacrifice relationship? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's do the work that God has called us to do. We are a people for his own possession, a people with a calling. Let's be that priesthood. Let's sacrifice ourselves for each other and for the lost. Let's proclaim the awesome works of our God. And let's abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our souls. And let's keep our conduct honorable. Would you, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the words that Peter wrote to the churches. And we find them, Father, to be rather convicting. On one hand, and yet on the other hand, they are completely uplifting. We have been placed 
were those who without Christ will never be a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, a holy nation. And we are chosen. And so, Father, as a chosen people, we want to commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to being what you have called us to be, that we might lay our lives on the altar as living sacrifices for the work that you would have us do. And help us to be clean. You know how we struggle with that, to be clean. So I pray, Father, that you would help us with that and help us to help each other, not to condemn the neighbor who falls, but to help him get up and keep going. That we might confess our sins to one another, help each other back on our feet, and encourage each other to make it to the finish line. Thank you, Father, for this message from your word, through your spirit. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing together. We are called to be God's people. this benediction grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.